as many of you uh, will remember, I preached on the tenants uh, last week of the the vineyard tenants, and we talked about. Uh, I mentioned uh, we're going to be segueing into talking about bearing fruit, and so this is a continuance of that. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to get into the various fruits today, uh, but what I'm going to talk about is a subject that is critically important to the bearing of fruit in our uh, being able to bear fruit. And so uh, I'm going to be teaching today out of the book of John uh, chapter 15. starting with the first verse. I will read the first eight verses, and then we'll go through and uh, cover them in a little bit more detail. Starting with the first verse, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bear, that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Uh, there is a lot to unpack there. Um, I, will, I will attempt to only unpack that which I feel is relevant to uh, uh, the message today. But it starts off in verse one. I am the true vine. Jesus said many things about himself, right? You know, he he says that I am, uh, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. All right, and so, you know, uh, he's the bread of life. He is uh, the light of the world. Right. This is another one of those things that he said about himself. He says that I am the true vine. Okay, and he says my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, I want to stop right there. Every branch in me, who are those who are in him? It's you and I, those of us who are his disciples, those of us who are walking with the Lord. We are in him. So he's establishing an order to things here. And we as disciples of Christ, we have to know our place in that order, right? So we need to know our place. And so in this place, Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, we are the branches. And it's interesting that he would choose 
a vine, like a grapevine. You know, uh, uh, vine plants, they don't have a sturdy trunk or a stem that allows them to stand upright on their own. Now, we're not the vine, Jesus is. We're the branches that protrude from the vine. And the branches that protrude from the vine are expected to bear fruit. Now, the branches cannot bear fruit of its own accord. The branches rely on the supply from the vine. The vine is the one that does the producing. The branches do the bearing. If we ever separate from the vine, we cannot bear fruit, right? But we're just the branches. All right, we follow the cue of the vine. Now, that's hard for us as human beings, right? Because, you know, from the time we come out of the womb, all we're concerned about is our own needs, what we want. I think babies, even before they learn mama and daddy, the first word they learn is mine. They don't know how valuable something is. They don't know how hard you worked to earn the money to buy that thing. They don't know its purpose a lot of times. They find something that has a good color. They they find some interest in it. They grab it, and you don't have to teach them what the meaning of possession is. They understand possession because they take possession of it, and they claim it and say it's mine, right? And so as we get older, how many of you know That possessive trait doesn't just mature out of us. We have a tendency to always want to claim what's mine. Are you hearing me? We have a tendency to always want to claim what's mine. So we're we're, we're self-centered. We're self-focused. See, that runs counter, uh, I'll just say that runs contrary to kingdom thinking. Because here, In this vineyard, there's one vine dresser, and that's God. He controls and decides. He works everything according to his own will. There's a vine, and we're the branches. Can you imagine the branches telling the vine how to do what it does? The branches on a grapevine telling the vine dresser how to do his or her job? We... Sometimes I have to ask a question like that for it to crystallize in my mind what I'm doing. And and it makes me drop back when God deals with me on that. And so every question that we're asking God, why? God, that 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 was my job. I, I wanted to stay in that job, but I lost it. As a young man, I had what I considered was my future plans. This, those were my plans. Those, that, that, I owned that. That's what I wanted for my life. It was mine. And God had a different plan for my life. As long as I was worried about what's mine, my life was my possession, I couldn't hear God. And it wasn't until God took away 
that which was elevated in my heart to a place that he should have been, that I was then humbled and open to hearing what his plan was for my life. It's a painful process, but it was necessary for me in order for me to get into the will of God and for God to position me in a way where I could bear fruit. But I, I wanted to start off this by saying that we need to let go of the concept of mine, ours. That was the era of the tenants. They operated, killed the, the, uh, the vineyard owner's servants, beat them, killed them, stoned them, killed his son, they were operating out of self-interest. They were operating out of the concept of mine, what I want for my life, what I want in this situation. You lose all, they lost all concept of who literally owned the vineyard and the fruit that it produced. And he says something about us as branches. All right. There's two, I guess, types or traits of branches. Every branch in me, so in me means we belong to who? Jesus. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So that means we can be in Christ and not bear fruit. I want you to hear that. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. Now, this has been misinterpreted many times over the years. And it's, it's, it's a scary thing when you, uh, when you hear take away, what do you think? You think, oh my goodness, man, if I mess up, man, God's going to boot me out and I'm going to end up condemned to hell. But that's not what it means. The Greek word there is airo, A-I-R-O. It's airo. And it means lift up. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, then it says he lifts up. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So let's go to that lift up. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. Uh, I have a couple of scripture verses that I kind of steamrolled right over. I'm going to I'm going to address those right now uh, to give you a little bit of more uh, reference as to why I know and believe this isn't talking about when it says take away. It's not talking about taking you out of God's salvation. John 10 verses 27 and 28 say this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You know, the salvation of the Lord is sure. We don't have to go around worrying about if we mess up, did we lose our salvation today? If we're not bearing fruit, have I lost my salvation today? No, you, you cannot be snatched out of his hand. Romans 8 verses 1 and 2 say this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. All right? So, so there's no condemnation. We have been given eternal life. It is by grace through faith. We couldn't have earned it. But like I said last week, 
having been saved, we are expected to bear the fruit of salvation. Amen? And so let's get back to that Greek word, iro, the concept of lifting up. I have never been a vine dresser. Uh, I only know what I can read about it. All right? So I will endeavor to do my best here. Um, but what does that mean? So I don't know how many of us are familiar with the concept of a trellis. But it's a type of structure that's used to guide and support climbing plants, okay, uh, like ivies and vines. It's, it's, it's related to, uh, the definition here, trellis is related to words for woven fabrics. And that can help you, and that can help you remember how a trellis looks. The material, usually a type of wood, is crisscrossed in a lattice work. The purpose of the trellis is to support climbing plants which can't stand straight like a tree or house plant. With the aid of the trellis, the climbing plant wraps around the trellis and adds decoration to a garden. Sometimes trellis is used as a metaphor for other kinds of support. So what happens, uh, uh, what, what can happen is that branches can sometimes kind of fall off of the trellis and they can kind of fall onto the ground and form kind of roots <laughs> with the ground. And bugs can get to them. All kinds of things that can happen to them that would make them not able to bear fruit. And as long as the, as long as it's on the ground, it cannot bear fruit. So the vine dresser would then lift it up, cut away the roots that were attaching itself because those vines, they like to attach themselves to things. Cut it away from the ground, the muck and the mire, the environment that is not conducive to bearing fruit. Cut it away from it, lift it up, put it on a trellis back in an environment where it can actually achieve sustained, disciplined growth again. So God isn't angry with us to the point to where he is done dealing with us when we find ourselves in the mire and the muck, all right, our vine dresser, okay, will reach down to us and endeavor to pick us up off the ground, lift us up, put us back in a position where we are able to bear fruit. So that Greek word is airo, A-I-R-O. And that's really what it means. If anything, it's taking it away from that unhealthy environment, not taking us away from the Lord. I hope you're hearing that. And we have two processes that are mentioned here in verse 2. One involves the fruit-bearing branch. Another involves the branch that is not bearing fruit. The ones who are not bearing fruit will have to endure the discipline of the Lord or the chastising of the Lord, but the discipline of the Lord. Those who are bearing fruit, let's see what's in store for them. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
So we're either going to be dealing with discipline or pruning continually. Both processes can be painful. But both processes are necessary. And God in his infinite wisdom knows which process is appropriate for us in our walk with him at any given time. He will discipline us when appropriate. He will prune us when appropriate. And both are are necessary, but both are done for our good. And I just want to reiterate that. Discipline and pruning. Every Christian, no matter how much we don't want to go through those things, discipline and pruning is for every one of us. Every Christian, no exceptions. And we're going to have to come to understand that and embrace that, okay? And get to the point to where we appreciate that God is disciplining us when necessary and pruning us when necessary. I've learned to not be mad at God when I find an area of my life is a branch, is a wayward branch, where I've become a wayward branch in an area of my life. It's probably better said. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, it means, like I said earlier, a wayward branch runs along the ground. God's going to erect a trellis that cuts those new roots out of the wrong places and lifts the branch back into its proper place. I want whatever it takes, I want God to cut away it where I have laid roots in any wrong places, all right? I want the will of God in my life so much, or I should want the will of God and the glory of God in my life so much that I am willing to let him cut away any roots that I've laid in the wrong places and for him to place me in the proper place for me to bear kingdom fruit for his glory and to fulfill his call and purpose on my life. And I would challenge every one of you, uh, sons and daughters of God, to have that same attitude with the zeal. That we're not, oh me, oh my, feeling sorry for ourselves, but we are recognizing the work of God in our lives and we embrace it and we want it, we pray for it, we appreciate it, and we cooperate with it. God, have your way. Cut that stuff away. No matter how much I like it, if it's uh, if I'm wayward and if I've set root in a wrong place, sever it. Sever those roots. Place me in the proper place. Because once he has done that, no matter how painful that process was, once he's placed us on the trellis in the area of disciplined growth, we as branches will once again begin to bear fruit. And even, and I know I haven't gone past verse 2, everything will flow a little quicker going forward, but I really felt like parking here. Until the wayward vine is lifted up, 
it will not produce fruit. God, lift up we your wayward vines, Father God, that we might be able to bear fruit, Father, where we up to this point have not been able to bear it. Father, we just invite you to do that. Have your way in us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Even, But even when we do begin to bear fruit, even those of us who are faithfully and disciplined, walking in obedience to God, and, we're, and, and, and we are abiding in the vine, and we're producing fruit, it doesn't mean a life of ease and, 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 and that there is no pain or discomfort associated with it. He says every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the branches that have stayed on the trellis, the ones that were already committed to Christ-like discipline, will be made uncomfortable too. But he will do it. Everything he does will be so that you're able to bear more fruit. Okay, we, and that's the importance of patience. You know, I, I kind of addressed it in a kind of a humorous way last week, but patience is a serious matter. Uh, without it, there will not be perseverance. We won't persist in the things of God. Uh, uh, without it, we will get uh, to a point to where we will give birth to a bunch of Ishmaels in our lives instead of allowing God to give us the Isaacs. Right? The promises that he's given to us. So, so, so we're going to have to learn to be patient because God, just like a skilled, experienced vine dresser, he's thinking, he's future oriented in his thinking for us. He's planning for the, he, he, he's, um, uh, he's pruning us with the long term benefits in mind. All right. He knows the end from the beginning. All right. So 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 he's pruning us so that we can continue to bear fruit. And, and so that so so that we are prepared to bear fruit tomorrow, next week, next year, five years from now, 10 years from now, uh, as we continue to mature in him. OK, so it's not just about the here and now. We want to focus on the here and now. We tend to want to do that. Those are the things that tend to be most important to us. But but. But those are trivial matters to God. God has a long-term vision and plan for us. And he wants to keep us on the path toward that promised land he has for us. I hope you're hearing that. So we're going to be disciplined or pruned. There is, you know, so there is discipline and there is pruning. You're going to be undergoing either of those things all the time. No chill, no break. That's just what's going to be. That's part of the process of the maturing process that God has for us. And that's the process that enables us to continue to bear fruit. Um, God is doing all the work. You know, like a grapevine, the branches bearing grapes, you know, with the clusters on them and everything. You know, that's the most natural thing in the world. What is a grapevine going to do but bear grapes? It's just going to, as long as it's connected to the vine, as long as the vine dresser is pruning and doing what he's doing, it, the, 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 the grapevine cannot help but to produce grapes. And so the same is true with us. As long as we're connected to the vine that is being handled by the vine dresser, we cannot but help 
we cannot help but to produce fruit. I want to give a few benefits of discipline because discipline is one of those scary things. You know, uh, I'm not scared to say that we discipline our children. Though that discipline, it, it came in many forms, but when it, when necessary, we would spank. And when we spanked, we had these little leather straps. Brittany, remember it? We had this little leather strap, you okay? Made out of cowhide, cow alright? It was about maybe six to eight inches long, and we named it. Cause we had all girls, we could name it this. That leather strap was called Miss Do-Right. Alright? And so, when it was appropriate, right, we, when we felt it necessary, we brought Miss Do-Right out, and Miss Do-Right had her say on the backsides of our girls. And our girls, you know, if they, if you, if you ask them, they probably would have thought they were being abused or unfairly treated or whatever, but, but it was really discipline, <laughs> right? And it was done in love, although it probably didn't feel that way to them at the time. But why did we discipline them as parents? We disciplined them for their good. Okay? There were important character traits that needed to be developed into them. There were wayward tendencies that needed to be driven out of them, right? And so there was a discipline process that was necessary. We tried things short of spanking, okay, in order to instill those things in them. And where there was more stubbornness and less willingness to to conform to the to conform to those principles, then we had to up our game and Miss Do Right was brought out. All right? And we found at times our Miss Do Rights kept coming up missing. They would hide Miss Do Right or they would throw them away and we would buy more Miss Do Rights. <laughs> All right. And so, you know, kids will do whatever they can to avoid discipline. You know what? Kids aren't the only ones. As grown ups, we'll do whatever we can to avoid discipline. If we can get it done by hook or by crook, we'll do that. If we'll go the easy route, even though God would have us to go the longer, harder route. Because he wants to develop something in us. He wants to teach us certain disciplines. He wants to teach us to be patient. He wants us, he wants to teach us to persist and persevere in the things of God. And we'd rather avoid them and do things our own way. And so when we don't want to do things God's way, you know, he will try to lovingly sway us and, 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 uh, you know, try to, try to encourage us to do things his way. But at some point, we're going to have to go through the discipline of the Lord. God's going to get through to us eventually, right? And he'll bring out his own Miss or Mr. Do-Right on us, right? But he'll do it in love. But here are the benefits. When God, if you're on that path where God has to discipline you, there are benefits to being disciplined by God. In Hebrews chapter 12, Verses 5 and 6 basically tells us that if you're being disciplined by God, that you're in God's family. You're a son or daughter of God if he's disciplining you. Let me read it. 
read it in the ESV. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And that's all encapsulating son and daughter, men and women. So, so he chastises the ones he loves. He disciplines the ones he loves. We're sons and daughters. So we're being disciplined by our heavenly father. So, so, so if we do feel like we're being disciplined by God, let's not consider that as an act of, of hatred. Let's, let's recognize it for what it is that our heavenly father loves us enough to do what is necessary in order for us to learn to walk in obedience to his word of truth. To hear his, learn to hear his voice and obey it. Are you hearing that? Okay, it also tells us in the next three verses that it's done in love and that it's done for our good. Verses 7 through 10 say this. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That speaks to the previous point that we're his children. If he didn't, we'd be illegitimate. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But here we are. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. He wants us to be conformed character-wise into the image of his son. And finally, verse 11. For the, for the moment, <laughs> all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. In the moment, no discipline feels good, right? It all seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's what every godly parent wants for their children. That's the motive. That's what we're trying to accomplish when we discipline our children. In the moment, it doesn't feel that way to them. But that is our objective. That's the long-term goal. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And, and that's, that's basically symbolic of what God is, God is doing in our lives. Every act of discipline is for our good. And the, the intended result is that it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those of us who have been trained by it. And we must be trained by it if we're going to live up to the title of disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's go, uh, I'm going to shift real quick to pruning. What's the difference um, between being disciplined and being pruned? Um, one, it's the situations. One's a healthy situation, one's an unhealthy situation. One involves disobedience and one is a person walking in obedience. So 
But the difference is health. You know, the vine dresser looks very carefully at the branches on the trellis. And with a practiced eye and a mindset that looks toward the long-term health, he cuts branches back. That's a critically important process. Without pruning, it will never produce the fruit it was designed to bear. Instead, it'll produce mainly vines and leaves. But because he's after fruit, the vine dresser will prune in just the right places at just the right time in order to make us be able to bear more fruit. That's what God is doing in our lives. And I got to thinking about a bunch of examples, and I settled on one, uh, which is hard for me. But I settled on one, thinking of all the people in the Bible that it could be said of uh, their story as we read it speaks of being pruned by the Lord. And uh, I was talking to Johnny uh, yesterday, and and this character came up, and it's uh, the Apostle Peter. You know, <laughs> Peter was rebuked by the Lord on uh, more than one occasion. Um, when he um, disagreed and uh, when Jesus told him about what he was going to suffer for mankind, he said, be it not so. The Lord rebuked him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter didn't fully know what he was doing, but he was speaking against the plan and will of God, right? What Jesus was telling him was the will of the Father. It was going to happen. It was critically important to the salvation of us all. And Peter, in his emotions, because he didn't want Jesus to suffer, that he couldn't imagine it, he saying, no, that shall not happen. Well, if that doesn't happen, then you and I are lost, Right? And so that's why Jesus rebuked him so much. But, but um, he was rebuked uh, 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 several times. And the result of those pruning processes, it led to a mature man that did great things for God. You want to know what I consider the most pruning time for Peter was? As far as we read, it started when Jesus one day told Peter, right before Jesus was to suffer on the cross, he said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, that your faith doesn't fail basically, as he was going through it. Think about that. So Satan made his appeal to God to sift Peter. Satan's objective was that Peter's faith would fail, that he would just give up, turn tail, and run. But Jesus said to Peter, this is going to happen to you. Satan's going to come at you with everything he's got. But I prayed for you that your faith do not fail, that you overcome the assault that he's about to put on your life. Now, if we had the, the mindset of the toddler 
The mine, 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 mine. This is my life. This is my comfort. This is my peace. Then we're more concerned with, oh, no, I don't want any of that. Keep that stuff away. I don't want to go through this, Lord. We begin to pray that it doesn't happen. Right? But if we are mature in our perspective and we say, God, my life isn't mine. It's yours. Okay? My comfort. Uh, the things that I prefer, my comfort zone, it's not mine. It's yours. What I want, with all due respect, doesn't matter as much as what you want. So, God, if you are telling me that I must go through this, then I embrace it and I say, yes, Lord. Okay? What happened after Jesus uh, told him that? Jesus looked at uh, told his disciples that he was about to suffer the cross. He told them that they were all going to be offended, that they were all going to scatter and leave him alone. And Peter stood up and said, oh, not me, Lord. These others, all these other guys, they might do it, but not me. I'll die for you. And Jesus said, Peter, he didn't know that was a part of the sifting. That's a part of, as a, Satan has already kind of set him up for that. He said, surely as I tell you, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And I'm sure he, did, he thought there wasn't any chance in a million years of himself doing that. Right? Then they apprehended uh, Jesus. Right? And they were looking for his followers. And someone said, Hey, he's one of them. And what does he do? Uh-uh. I don't know, Jesus. I don't know him. Yeah, look at him. You know, it, it's all over him. He he talks like him. He acts like him. You know, he's like, no, 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 it's not me. And he denied it so hard that he cursed. I don't know the bleeping dude. And then the rooster crowed. And then guilt, shame, self-condemnation, just, he was awash with it. And the hits just kept on coming. Jesus suffered and died on the cross. They thought he was going to restore Israel. They thought he was going to restore, set up the kingdom and, and uproot the Roman government. He, he, they, everything that they thought, it just seemed to all go up in flames. One hit after another. And they all just went back to what they were doing before Jesus called them. Little did he know this was a painful pruning process for him. He was in Christ. He denied the Lord. The Lord prophesied that he would, but he wasn't walking in disobedience to God. Right? He was in Christ. And this was necessary. And what did Jesus do? Jesus after he died and rose again, he came to Peter and he asked him three times, do you love me? And when Jesus asked it the third time, it really stung Peter. And instead of just saying, yes, I love you, Lord, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And each time he said, feed my sheep. Okay, feed my lambs. And the last time, not only did he tell him to feed his sheep, 
he also prophesied to him about his death, that he would suffer, he would also suffer a hard death for the cause of Christ. Right? And guess what? This man who could not keep his foot out of his mouth, this man who had to be rebuked on more than one occasion by the Lord, this man who had a higher opinion of his own commitment to the Lord than he did of his peers. And he was humbled because he realized that when it came, when it came to uh, the situation of it was his life or his faith, he chose his life and self-preservation in that moment. That became real to him. Many of us, we have an idea about how we would respond in that situation. We, we, we fantasize about standing strong in that situation, but we don't know what we'll do in that situation until we're confronted with it. He was one of those that was confronted with it and found himself falling short of where he thought he was. And that was a very humbling and a very um, hurtful thing for him to come to grips with his true self in that moment. Maybe not to that degree, but we all experience things in life where things that we thought about ourselves, you know, when it got tested, we found that we didn't quite measure up to what we thought about ourselves. And we tend to beat ourselves up, condemn ourselves. Enemy can wreak havoc in that, in that doubt, in that moment of shame. The enemy can really get to you. And you know the enemy was all in his mind trying to get him to fold his tents and give up. But he persisted. And Christ, when he asked those questions, he wasn't, it wasn't an I told you so. It wasn't a condemning thing. To me, he denied the Lord three times. I believe the Lord asked him that question three times because there was, there was healing and restoration needed for each denial. He wanted to make sure, you know, pour that salve on him and, and restore him to the utmost. Okay? And so he dealt with that. You know, we need to allow God to go into those hard places where we have failed before. Right? Where we have not measured up to the ways and things of God. And, and, and allow him to really, uh, to really deal with us in that place. You didn't show, you know, my word says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You do what I say. Do that which honors me. In that moment, you didn't do that. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my lamb. Do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Learn from it, mature, and keep going with the Lord. We can learn from a lot from Peter. After the Lord restored him, Peter went from displaying a mind attitude about his life when he denied the Lord to saying, my life is yours. Displaying of my life is yours, Lord. It is not my own from that moment on after Jesus restored him. What did he do on the day of Pentecost? 
He preached about a three-minute message that three people got baptized and became believers. What did he do when time came for him to give his life for, uh, for the cause of Christ? He didn't beg for his life. He didn't deny Christ. He said, I am not worthy to suffer the way that my Lord and Savior did. Crucify me upside down. The pruning process that he went through earlier enabled him to bear the much fruit that he bore later on. The pruning process, just like the discipline process, doesn't feel good in the moment. But it bears fruit. In the long road. And I want to hurry up and uh, try to wrap up here, but I, uh, I really want to read, go back to John 15 and uh, uh, start reading in verse 9 uh, because I want to speak, to, uh, I want to really, really reiterate over and over again the mindset and the attitude and the behavior that we have to exude. That our responsibility in order for us to be able to bear fruit is simple. Abide in the Lord. He makes the fruit bear. We don't have to work our way into bearing fruit. It will be a natural thing that we do if we just do what Jesus told us to do. Okay? And what did he tell us to do? Is to abide in him. Verse 9. As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. What does he say then? Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So that shows you the how. Okay, you give me the what. Okay, how do I abide in your love? Well, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So it's a lifestyle. It's a continual process. It's not just a one and done type of thing. It's a continual commitment to keeping his commandments. If you do that, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And I would say this isn't just the like the Ten Commandments and stuff that are written down in the Bible. As the Lord, that there are things specific to you in your life, and you begin, if you're spending time with God, you know the voice of God. You know when it is God that is speaking to you. Okay, when you're having your quiet time with God, you're, you know, there's a word that, a verse that really pops to you. And then God speaks to you in prayer and he, and he gives you a command. He tells you that command is for you. I want you to do X, Y, and Z. All right. It is telling us we are to keep that commandment, not just what we read in each of the books of the Bible, but when God speaks to us, we need to be those that act on what God speaks. I hope you're hearing me. If we do that, he will, we, we will abide in his love just as he has kept his father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You know, I think a lot of times we're not feeling the joy of the Lord in our lives because we're not abiding in the Lord. We're not keeping 
his command. We're not practicing the obedience that, to, to, to the commandments that we profess to believe in. Okay? And to the extent that we're not doing that, we're not experiencing the joy of the Lord. Say, so he's telling us these things. I've spoken these to you that my joy may be in you. So if we're committed to living a life, obeying, obeying God, obeying his commandments, Lord, whatever your word says, I'm going to conform. I'm not going to try and modify and change your word to something I'm more comfortable with, interpret it in a way that really takes away the meaning and intent of the word. I'm not trying to have it my way. I'm going to conform to your way. And when you speak to me personally to do something, I am going to not take it lightly. I'm going to obey. If we live life that way with God, if we walk with him that way, we are going to have his joy. It's going to be in us. Doesn't mean that everything we experience will be pleasant, but his joy will be in us. And that our, and our joy will be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's another thing. How we treat others. How we regard others. It's a commandment. I want you to love one another. We don't get to define what that love looks like. We don't get to define or limit how far we're willing to go in love. He tells us, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So we should be looking at him at the blueprint of what love really is and emulating or copying or imitating him in the way that we love others. Because that's the command. Love one another as I have loved you. Not as you want to, but as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. We sing that song, I am a friend of God. No, you ain't if you ain't doing what he told you to do. All right? That, uh, that's, isn't that what the scripture says? Okay? It's my job to tell you the truth. Okay? You are my friends if. That means there is conditions attached to that. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, you're still my child. <laughs> he said, you're still my child. You're still saved. But you ain't my friend if you're not doing what I told you to do. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You know, the, my only draw away from that is to emphasize the fact that we didn't find Jesus. We didn't choose Jesus. He chose us. Notice, he chose you. He want, That means he wanted you. Okay? He chose. He didn't settle for you. He chose you. So you are loved. You are cherished. Okay? He cares for you. And everything he does to you or for you or everything he does to you, whether it's pruning or discipline, is for your good. And it comes out of the loving heart of the one who chose you and cherishes you.
So, just in conclusion, when facing God's discipline, the choice we make is whether or not to continue in our disobedience or if we're going to repent and choose obedience. When we're being disciplined, that's our choice. Are we going to continue in, di- in disobedience or choose obedience? Like Jonah, he chose disobedience. God disciplined him. And he chose obedience as much as he didn't want to. That's our choice when we're being disciplined. But in the case of being pruned, we face a choice of faith. Can we keep the commitment that might require pain for us and yet bring glory for God? You know, can we keep our commitment? Keep the commitment to continue to walk in obedience to God in a, in a thing that may be painful for us, but will bring glory to the Lord. But if you're in a place where God is disciplining you, Submit to God's correction. Repent. Turn away from those destructive choices and choose to love God in obedience. So I'm so I didn't talk about the fruits. I didn't take you to Galatians. I didn't take you to Corinthians. I didn't take you to any of those places today. I took you to a place that in John 15 that really speaks to what is required of us in order to be able to bear fruit. So I don't think I gave it earlier, but the title is Abide in the Vine and You Will Bear Fruit. Jesus is the vine. So abide in the vine, Jesus, and you will bear fruit. And we talked about the abiding there. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just bring it to a close right now. With that conclusion that I drew. So if you're facing God's discipline, and I believe God will speak to you, whether it's discipline or pruning, you know. You have a choice. Will you continue In the way of disobedience, or will you submit to God's correction and repent? And if you're dealing with God's pruning and you're whining about it, you think it's unfair, I would encourage you to repent of that as well and to appreciate his pruning. Because he's preparing you to be able to bear more fruit. Father God, I just, I thank you right now that you're speaking to hearts wherever they may be right now, Lord. You're meeting them in front of their tablets or their phones or in front of their computers. However they're watching right now, Father God, you're, you're dealing with them. And some of them, Father God, are just coming to the realization that you've been disciplining them. Maybe they thought the devil was doing something and they were rebuking the devil and and they were confused and frustrated as to why nothing's changed. 
because they believe and know that they have authority over the devil in Jesus' name. Only to find out right now that the one they were trying to rebuke was you and the work of discipline that you're doing in their lives and that the one that needs to change, the situation doesn't need to change. The only thing that needs to change is their attitude, their actions, their mindset. They're the ones that need to repent and turn to the way of the Lord. Father, I thank you for the grace that you've given them to do that right now. I thank you for convicting their hearts. I thank you that repentance is happening right now, Father God, and they are abandoning their harmful and destructive choices and and they are accepting your correction. They're allowing you to lift them up from the ground where they have been molded, where they have been abused by the bugs and other things that would eat away at the vine and, and prevent the fruit from coming upon them, on the branches and prevent fruit from coming upon them. That they're allowing you now to, they're ready to allow you to, to iros them, to lift them up and put them in the place where they can begin to bear fruit again. And Father, I just pray right now for those who have been your faithful warriors, those who have walked with you, Father God, they, they understand, you know, the importance of your, uh, of your pruning work in their lives, Father God. But maybe, Father God, they've kind of been stuck and it gotten to a point to where, uh, you know, Father God, that they're, that they've adopted an, an attitude of, of unfairness that, um, that they have walked with you in faithful obedience and, 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 and they should see more fruit right now. But instead of more fruit, Father God, they're seeing what they feel is consequences, what they feel is discipline. I pray, Father God, that you are enlightening them right now to the fact that what they are enduring is not discipline, but it is pruning. And this pruning, though it's not pleasant right now, It will yield, Father God, the peaceful fruit of righteousness, Father God. It will yield a great harvest in time to come, Father. At first glance, discipline and pruning could look very similar. It can look like the same thing. So it's hard to distinguish, Father God. But if we stay abiding in Jesus, stay plugged in with him, Father God, you will give us the ability to know the difference. We know, Father God, whether we're obeying you in your word of truth or not. Those of us who are walking in obedience, Father God, let us know that pruning is a critically important part of our continuing to bear much fruit going forward. Father, I pray that everybody was encouraged by this message, Father God, and, and that, uh, that it, will, it will encourage them and produce, um, help them produce much fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.